Heavenly Father, as we prepare to examine this story, Lord, open up our hearts so that we might see what Jesus is saying to us this morning. And I believe that through your Holy Spirit, you want us to hear these messages, and you have a, you have a word for us today. Lord, challenge us, comfort us. And open up our eyes to the truths of Scripture. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You remember Jesus is just coming down from the mountain. The Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. Remember we said last week that in, in, in a spiritual sense, we, we can't stay on the mountain. We would love to, be, at least me, I would love to be able to maintain these mountaintop experiences, these wonderful experiences of God's presence and joy and, 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 and just passionate knowing of God in an intimate way, in a real way. But God does not allow us to stay in those moments. He, he brings us down into real life so that we can, we can run off the fuel of those times and, and be strengthened for ministry. And you know what? That's exactly what happens here in today's story. Jesus and his, his three disciples come down from the mountain after this awesome experience of God's glory, and they are thrust right straight back into ministry. In fact, really, in a sense, you have two opposite polar extremes, from the presence of the glory of God to a demon-possessed child. And that's where Jesus and these three disciples find themselves. They came up... And, and there was an argument going on between the other nine remaining disciples, this boy's father in a crowd that had gathered, plus some scribes thrown in for good measure. And so there was this debate happening and taking place. And apparently it was all around why the disciples could not heal or cast this demon out of this boy. You can understand the father's position. He's desperate. The passage says that from childhood, since this, this, this boy was young, He'd been possessed by this demon, and now he's, he's, he's just uh, completely undone. And his one and, and last hope is, is, is just not coming together like he hoped it would. And, and he had brought them to Jesus and the disciples for healing. Jesus wasn't present, so he, he gave the disciples a go, and there was nothing. They, they, they couldn't cast the demon out, and you can imagine that he's frustrated and upset. And so Jesus says, what's going on here? What's happening? And the man begins to explain what this demon had done to this child. And I don't know if you, you saw all these, these ways in which this demon afflicted this child. But it says in verse 17 that it made the boy mute. In verse, 24, verse 25, it refers to the, the spirit as a mute and deaf spirit. So it sounds like the boy was not able to hear either because of this demon possession. Um, when, when the demon would come upon him, verse 18 says it would seize him and throw him to the ground. It would make his, his mouth foam. It would make him go rigid and grind his teeth. It would send him into convulsions. And even at times, according to verse 22, uh, this demon would try to kill the boy by, by throwing his body into a fire or into a body of water to drown him. This was not some... Um, uh, well, th th this, this, was, this was serious business. This wasn't a child who, was, who had a personality disorder or temperament issues. This, this was a demon who wreaked havoc in every way, shape, and form on this poor child. 
When Jesus came to earth to minister, demonic activity was experienced like no other time in history. We can't find anything in the Old Testament or from Jewish writings that ever indicated that this type of activity was normal. I do believe that there is demon possession today, and I do believe that it, that it happens, but there was a reason that it was amped up during the time of Jesus. Satan knew that God was doing something in the world by sending his son. I don't think that Satan fully grasped the plan of God, even though it had been prophesied. Otherwise, he would have done whatever he could to try to keep him from getting crucified. But Satan knew that God the Father was up to something, and he wanted to do whatever he could to stop it. And so demons uh, began to possess people in, in, in un, un, unheard of numbers. John MacArthur has written that demons have been actively been demons have actively been doing Satan's bidding in the world ever since the fall. They usually do not make their presence known, choosing rather to operate covertly by disguising themselves as angel, angels of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. During Jesus' earthly ministry, however, they launched into an all-out assault against him, manifesting themselves much more openly and to some degree more willingly than is the normal practice. But Jesus unmasked them, forcing them to reveal themselves even when they were unwilling to do so. We need to avoid the, the, the rational explanation here that this child was simply suffering from a, a natural human condition, such as epilepsy that was throwing him into seizures. This was straight-up demon possession. This was a work of Satan and his minions. And, and as Christians, we need to have a balanced perspective on this. Because I, I've read people who fall into one of two different ditches. You, could, you, can, you can say that, that all sickness is the result of, of demonic and satanic activity. And I don't believe that that can be uh, proven from Scripture. I don't think that's the case. And you really get yourself into some murky waters when, when you have, simply have the flu or a cold and you're trying to convince someone that, that, that Satan is attacking them or they've, they've been punished uh, for some reason or another. Uh, we know that there are a lot of natural reasons and natural causes for illnesses. And, and this child's uh, condition was, was straight up a work of Satan in this case. But we can fall into the opposite ditch where we don't, we don't acknowledge that Satan and his minions are at work in this world at all. And we can try to go through life pretending like there's not a spiritual battle. And Scripture says that's not a, that's not a biblical idea either. God tells us that we wrestle against, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Satan is at work, whether we see it or realize it or not, to get us to fall into temptation, to get our eyes at in, in minds off of God and onto the things of this world and onto uh, sin and living in a way that's displeasing to God. And so we need to remember that this demonic realm is a very real thing. And this, this, this passage, this story today, reminds us of just that. And so as we think about what's happening here, there are a few things that I want us to see about faith. Because the title of this, this passage uh, I've taken from what I think is the key verse and an extremely powerful verse and I think we're going to find an encouraging verse. Uh, the title of today's message is Help My Unbelief. Help My Unbelief. And so as we think about the idea of faith, the first thing I want us to see from this text is that faith is necessary. Faith is necessary. Now, if you've grown up in church and, and you've, you've heard the, the Sunday school stories and you're familiar with Scripture, you may say, well, duh, it's the Bible. Of course faith is necessary. 
But you know, it's so easy to get going in our daily lives and to become self-sufficient. To think that I can handle things on my own. To think that I can get by just fine here. That, that life is working out okay. And, and I almost forget that I need to live a life of dependence upon God. We talk about a, a life by faith, walking by faith. But we are much, much more comfortable walking by sight. And Jesus comes to them in verse 19. And he says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? He recognizes that there's a whole lot of unbelief going on. I think he's probably directing this statement to the crowds, probably to the disciples to some degree, who were unable to cast this demon out. We need to remember that God calls us to live a life of faith, to trust Him, to trust Him when things seem impossible, to trust Him when all of our resources are exhausted, to walk by faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. George Mueller has said that faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God In that which is humanly possible, faith begins where man's power ends. Faith is necessary. In verse 21, Jesus turns to the man and says, How long has this been happening to him? How long has this been happening to him? You know, that question really struck me. Do you think that Jesus knew how long this child had been sick? I do. I mean, remember Jesus went to the woman at the well in Luke and, and, and told her plainly how many husbands she'd been married to. And the man that you're with is not currently your husband. He, he didn't need anyone to inform him that. As God, he, he already knew. And, and I believe that Jesus already knew the answer to this question as well. I think Jesus is asking this question because he's entering into the man's hurt to the man suffering. He recognizes the, 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 the angst and the pain and the suffering that this child was going through was a very real thing. Not only was he compassionate towards the child, but he, he felt the, the pain that the parents would have been experiencing. I mean, you, you know what it's like if you've ever had a sick child, a, a colicky baby that's kept you up at night, and you just feel so helpless And then when the sickness goes on and on, or maybe the doctors couldn't figure it out and have not been able to give you an answer, it keeps you awake at night. It occupies your thoughts. It's a fear. It's a concern. It's a a deep hurt as as you enter into your own child's suffering. I think Jesus was entering into this man's suffering. I, I, I can't remember the passage right now, but... There's an instance where Jesus came to a man who was by the pool and waiting to be healed. And it said he'd been sick for, I don't know, like 30-some years, I believe. And the text just, just makes it just a brief statement. It says he'd been sick a long time. A long time. I remember hearing Johnny Erickson Tata speak, who's been a quadriplegic since she's a teenager. She's... Uh, in her late 60s now, I think. And she said, you know, it, when, I, when that passage first jumped out at me, it was so wonderful to hear that God knew and understood that that was a long time. She said, I've been a quadriplegic my whole life, and it feels like forever. But you know what? God knows 
God understands that it's a long time to suffer like this. And I believe Jesus felt this man's pain. I wonder this morning how good we are at exhibiting that same tenderness towards others who are suffering. You know, when, when people are going through a difficult time, it's one thing to zip them a text and say, I'm praying for you. That, that's a great thing to do. It's another thing, too, to maybe make them a meal to help them out. That's a, that's a great act of, of, of love. But to, to enter in and walk with them through suffering, especially if it's a suffering with no end in sight, now that's a whole different realm of love. That's a whole different realm of sacrifice. It's a whole lot easier to zip off a text or drop off a meal. And again, I'm not minimizing those acts of grace. The Bible tells us to weep with those who weep, to to walk alongside the hurting. And and you know what? It's going to be hard. It's going to require sacrifice on your part. It's going to be zapping at times. I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. He's entering in to this man's struggle. And he asks him in verse, I believe it's 22. The, uh, the man says, in verse, halfway through verse 22, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I love Jesus' reply. Jesus said to him in verse 23, If, if you can, if you can, now, I wonder what it would have been like to see Jesus' face and to hear his tone of voice. Because I know as a sinful human being what my tone of voice would have been. It would have been snarky and sarcastic. Don't you know who I am? I am the Son of God, if I can. Come on. I don't think that was Jesus. I don't think so. But he was probably amused. If I can. Let me show you what we can do here. Jesus is God. And Jesus has the power to do the miraculous. I just want you to be reminded once again, as we've been walking through Mark for some time now, that there is nothing too difficult for Jesus. There is no storm he cannot still. There is, is no disease he cannot heal. There is, is no one dead who he cannot raise to life. And this story reminds us that there's no demon powerful enough that can defeat him. And Jesus comes to heal here. Now I want you to know that as he says in verse 23, he says, if, I, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And I just want to say that verse is not teaching what, what some out there would say, that if, if you have enough faith, if you just have enough faith, everything will get better in the end. And therefore, the opposite is true, that if you're not better, if you're still suffering, if your condition persists, if your illness carries on, then you must simply not have enough faith. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. I don't think that this verse is teaching that. And when you look at the whole big picture of the Bible, I don't think Scripture teaches that. 
I think all he is saying here is that if you trust God, there's nothing he can't do. If you're willing to have faith, if God wills, he can do anything. And that's what he's letting this man know. And I love the next verse, verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. The second thought this morning is that faith sometimes struggles. Faith sometimes struggles. You know, if, you're, uh, if, if you've been a Christian a long time, yeah, even a short time, doesn't matter, you probably can resonate with this man's expression of his faith. I believe, but I'm really struggling right now. I trust you, Jesus, but it's, it's like a barely hanging on kind of a trust. It's a shaky trust. I want to believe that you can make my child better. I believe, but oh, we've tried everything. Day after day, night after night, this child has been tormented by this demon. I believe, but help my belief, Jesus. (laughs) And the desperate father's fledgling faith is enough. Some of you may remember the verse to Charlotte Elliott's hymn. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, Fightings within and fears without. O Lamb of God, I come. Some of us have the mistaken notion that if you're a true Christian, if you're a strong Christian, then you never have doubts, you never waver, you never struggle. And that's just simply not true. In an 1887 sermon, Henry Drummond preached a message entitled Dealing with Doubt, and one of the observations he made was this. Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Hear the difference? Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with the darkness. Loving darkness rather than light, that's what Christ attacked and attacked unsparingly. But for the intellectual questioning of Thomas and Philip and Nicodemus and the many others who came to him to have their great problems solved, he was respectful and generous and tolerant. How did he meet their doubts? The church, as I have said, says, brand him. Christ says, teach him. When Thomas came to him, denied his very resurrection and stood before him waiting for the scathing words, lashing for his unbelief, they never came. They never came. Christ gave him facts, told him about himself. Johnny Erickson Tata has said, faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. And for some of us this morning, we're in a place where all we can do is trust God for the next step. We can't see into the future. 
We don't have things planned out. We don't have this rock-solid belief that everything's going to be okay for all of time. We just are, are taking one more wavering step after another. And God is so gracious to us. God doesn't stand over us like a harsh taskmaster, taskmaster, angry at us for not being stronger, scoffing at us for not being better Christians. He, he's so good and gracious. Think about when you're, if you've seen a little child learning to walk, and, 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 and you, you watch them as they, they stumble and fall, and there's so much more falling than walking when it first begins. And it's cute and it's funny, as long as they don't hurt themselves. They, they bounce back up and they, they keep trying. But what if you said to your child, listen, you're not going to walk until you know how to do it right. None of this goofy-looking, wobbly stuff. Until you're ready to run a 4-4-40, you're not getting up again. No parent would dream of doing that to their child. You, you understand that there's, there's times of of uncertainty, and there's times of shakiness. And, you know, our God is so gracious to know that, that we go through periods like that too. Even mature Christians, even believers who've been there a long time. This doesn't mean, and this passage isn't teaching, that we should somehow glorify doubt and somehow think that living a life of uncertainty and never being able to be confident about anything regarding God's Word is a virtuous life. Um, the the modern postmodern the current postmodern movement says that uh, not knowing is a virtue and so everybody uh, is content who believes these sorts of things to say well I don't know and I'm not who am I to say and and uh, you know maybe God exists maybe He doesn't but I don't want to push my beliefs on anyone and you know maybe that's true or for you but it's not for me or what, whatever kind of wishy washy He doesn't want us to live a life like that but what He's saying is that there are times in our life maybe a day or two, but it may be long periods where, where doubt is a very real thing. And God is gracious to us. And Jesus comes and ministers to this man right where he was at and loved him. And I want you to know this morning, if you're struggling with doubt, if your words are the same as this man, I believe, oh, but help my unbelief. I want you to know that God is gracious to you. God is there to strengthen you and help you. He cares that you're struggling in your doubt and in your faith. Well, Jesus spoke and commanded this demon to leave and never come back. And the demon immediately left him. The child, it says, look, passage says it looked like he was dead. People thought he was, he was dead right there, but... Verse 27 says, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. The boy was unconscious after the demon left, and Jesus finished his restoration, his restorative work, and returned the young boy to his father, as good as new. Verses 28 and 29 are a little bit of an epilogue. It says that when he had entered the house, so they're away from the crowds now, it says his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some of the texts say by prayer and fasting. And so finally, we should be reminded that faith should push us to prayer.
in moments when we have to completely depend upon God and trust Him, our first response needs to be a response of prayer. So often prayer is a last resort for us, and it shouldn't be that way. We should go to God and trust and say, God, I don't have the way to fix this right now. I don't have the answers. I'm going to cast myself upon you. I'm going to trust you right now because I need your grace. I need your help. And these disciples had been ministering and serving, and and, and they had forgotten to trust They'd been kind of cranking it out. And you can talk to any pastor who's been in ministry for a while, and they will tell you that they know this feeling all so well. Because a lot of pastors, especially really gifted ones, can, can go through counseling appointments and meetings and discipleship and sermons, and it can all be done without faith for a while. For a while. Eventually they'll burn out. Eventually they'll come to the end of themselves like the disciples did here. They couldn't do it anymore. And Jesus said, well, yeah, you aren't praying. You're trying to figure it out yourself. You're trying to rest in your own strength and what's worked before. And You need to come to me. You need to come before the Lord. And I don't know, maybe you can resonate with that today. Maybe you've been trying to get through it, whatever it is, on your own. You're a pretty resourceful person. You're a pretty courageous person. You're a pretty intelligent person. And it's gotten you quite a long ways in life. And now things aren't going so well. There's some bumps in the road and and you're thinking, what's wrong? And Jesus says, you need to talk to me about this. You need to come to me because you don't have the answers. You don't have what it takes to figure this out right now. And God just wants us to come to Him in in prayer and in faith and ask Him for His help, trusting in Him. And so, Jesus healed a little boy who'd been tormented virtually his entire life. There's so many scenes that I wish I could see in the Bible. And this is just one more of them. To watch the transformation in the child, to see the, the disciples wrestling, to see the joy in the Father's eyes. But all week long, verse 24 rang through my head. I believe, help my unbelief. I want you to know this morning, if you're struggling with doubts, God understands. And God is there to walk through you, walk with you through these times. I love, there's some verses in Jude, uh, Jude verses 22 and 23. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. I want you to know a couple of things about doubt. First of all, be willing to help someone who's doubting. Don't smack them along the side of the head and tell them to get over it. Buck up and figure it out. Come on, you're better than this. Jude tells us to have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Secondly, if you're doubting in your own life, if you're struggling with doubt, pray. Pray. In Luke 17, 5, the disciples had to cry out to Jesus and said, Oh, increase our faith. 
Increase our faith. When you couple that with these verses, help my unbelief. Increase my faith. It's okay to pray to God and ask Him to help you have faith. God, I don't see how you're going to fix this situation. I don't see how my relationship with my wife is going to get any better. I don't see how my my relationship with my my children is going to get any better. I I don't see how this situation is going to change. Oh, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Increase my faith. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I know it's cliche, but it's the truth. that It comes back constantly to reading the word of God in prayer. And when we're in the midst of doubt, when we're struggling, there's no better place to go. Certainly, there are many other things we can do. Find other believers that will come alongside your life. Let them know your struggles and help them minister to you. Get connected in church. Listen to to good preaching and good music that will encourage your heart. But come back to the Word of God and talk to God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Maybe you can resonate with this man today. Maybe you've got something going on and your prayer is the same. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I promise you that's a prayer that God wants to answer today. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you for this man's just flat-out honesty before Jesus. So many of us come to you and we we pray like we're praying in front of an audience of other people. And we come with pretenses and and, and our pride covers up what's really going on in our heart. And Lord, just, just help us to be honest before you today. And, and, and And if our heart is like the man in this story... Or we want to believe, but we're struggling. We want to trust you, but it's really, really hard right now. Lord, help our unbelief. And may we come to you and just be able to lay that before you. Say, God, I'm praying right now, but I, I don't know if you're listening. But I'm going to keep praying because I'm going to just keep trusting that you're at work. Lord, I thank you that you're gracious to those of us who are frail in faith. You're so good. I want to pray, Father, for those here today who who may have serious health issues that need to be healed. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing to them and help their unbelief strengthen them right now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.